from the high desert and the great American Southwest. I bid you all good evening and or good morning wherever you may be across this great land of ours. Coming up tonight, Ghost to Ghost AM. Nothing but ghost stories all night long, with the exception of what we're going to do here in a moment. Because there is news from Peter Davenport at the National UFO Recording Center in Seattle, Washington. So we will do that, and then we will proceed with the balance of the night in nothing but ghost stories. As promised by popular request, one more night of ghost to ghost. So that's all directly ahead. Don't move. Well, all right. Here he comes one more time with me, Peter Davenport, who runs the National UFO Reporting Center in Seattle, Washington, takes hotline calls when stuff is happening like now, and takes online reports when it's happened, you know, a little while ago, or in the future. Here's Peter Davenport. Peter. Good evening, Art. As Good evening. Always. Good evening. It's great to be here tonight. You know, before the program, I was sort of mentally scrolling through the the many, many programs we've done together. I think we've done quite a number of really interesting programs. Been a few. We certainly have, and tonight's program, I think, will be no exception. Uh, we're running short of time, or we don't have a lot of time tonight. I don't want to keep those ghosts waiting at the bottom of the hour. <laughs> 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 what I would like to do is give a short preface. We've got two guests uh, who are standing by, I know, and I'm anxious to hear them tell in their own words what they saw over Clearfield, Utah. That's just south of Ogden, just north of Salt Lake City, and just east of the Great Salt Lake. This was Thursday night, last week, the 20th of April, year 2000. They saw something that is astonishing. And part of the reason I thought I would like to feature this case and sort of close out a long string on coast to coast with this one is because... We have heard this type of story before. We have time tonight, of course, to do only one story, but we have heard this type of report recently on several occasions, and our guests tell it so well that I thought... You know, two, two witnesses, Peter, are always good. Yes, they are. To and the same are, event. These are good witnesses, and I will leave it to our audience to judge for themselves the merits, the qualifications of our two guests tonight... With that being said, uh, let me just add that they saw not one object. They saw five clusters of objects, reportedly, streak over their heads, going from almost from horizon to horizon in a matter of a few seconds. This, by any measure, any measure at all, is unusual. They saw five of them in rapid sequence. The next night, we don't have time to deal with this report, but the next night, something similar was seen over Green Bay, Wisconsin. So with that, Art, why don't we just go to our two guests? Okay, and we have Debbie and we have Jen, and first we have Debbie. Debbie, hello. Hello, Art. Hi. Welcome to the show. Well, thank you. So you're up in Utah. Yes, I am. All right, Deb, what did you see? Well, um, I had been at my friend Jen's house watching a movie, and it was time to go home. And we walked out of her condo into the parking lot, and... As soon as we stepped outside, we could see what we thought was a flock of geese flying overhead. Mm-hmm. And Jen pointed at him and, and said, oh, look, you know, some geese. And when we looked at him for a few seconds, we realized it was dark outside, the moon was not up, and geese do not glow. Well, maybe we better have both of you in here at the same time. Jennifer, is that roughly what you said? Yes, <laughs> I, I pictured them as being illuminated geese. 
Illuminated geese. <laughs> yes, and uh, they were just uh, directly above our heads, flying in a V-shape, a chevron shape. Right. And uh, so they, uh, we didn't have what? a lot of time to to comment. When you say they... when you say illuminated geese, um, when you when you really looked at them, this is for both of you. Uh, was there finally any question that these were or were not geese? Oh, there was no question no, at all. Not, not within, geese. within the matter of a second or two, we knew they were not geese, and they were traveling so fast and just staying in such a tight formation, and there were seven lights. What about jet planes? No. Um, there were actually planes in the sky that we could see flying, and we've seen a lot of jets. And and this was just too fast, and and there was no noise. No noise. No noise. How about but, contrails? No. No, no. contrails. These were very distinct lights. There, you could tell. We could count them. You know, there were separate lights. Right. And we watched them as as they traveled, you know, across the sky, and and watched them go out of sight. Well, how how much of a shape could you finally discern, as opposed to a a goose. Um, that was kind of hard because we could see the light very distinctly, and it was almost like there were independent lights. Okay. But at the same time, it we kept looking to see what they were attached to, but we couldn't see anything. But they just gave the impression. Okay. What, what roughly what time was this again? Local time there. Nine thirty in the evening. Nine thirty. All right. So it was already obviously dark. Oh, yes. Okay. And the moon had not come out yet. All right. There was about a 15-second interval as they uh, went from, oh, it was primarily south to north before the second group came. A second, and, a second group? Yes. And they, we saw them about uh, 35 degrees off of the horizon, and uh, they came about uh, an 80 degree angle from where we were standing. And we we spent the first uh, the the time analyzing searchlights, as Debbie said, geese. Uh, we tried to compare them with the airplanes flying in the area, she said, to right. eliminate that and uh, uh, watch them just uh, actually cruise above our heads. Um, there's, I know it's almost impossible to estimate, but if you had to guess, how high up were they compared to the jet planes that were flying? They were. They seemed to me, I perceived them as being lower. As lower? Yeah. They I seemed, did, too. Yeah, they seemed to be really... Quite a bit lower. That's why I think they too impressed us as being more like geese, like the heights geese would fly. Oh, okay, I've got you. Sure. Yeah, and um, and when we saw the second set come over of the seven, then we thought, is this circling? Well, I'm trying to sit here thinking, wondering. Well, did they really see geese? Doesn't sound like it. No, no. definitely not geese. <laughs> no, we we eliminate, eliminated geese in about the first three seconds because. Uh, uh, seeing illuminated geese, it was the formation <laughs> that reminded us yeah, of geese. Yeah, of geese, yes, I understand. Right. 
Uh, and, and there's no way it could have been jet planes. No, no. no. Right. They were flying much faster. Could and they you, were very close together. All right. To you, were they? Uh, obviously, there was enough of a light for you to discern some kind of shape. Well, they had. There were seven lights in the V shape, three on each side, one in the seven front. Lights. And it just seemed as if they were attached to something. But we really, it it was like you you couldn't see it. You perceived that it was there, but you couldn't see. So it could have been seven lights attached to one single yes. object. I turned them headlights. Which, That's which, the which, only way I could think of to he describe headlights? them. Headlights? Headlights. Uh, well, that's in a V-shape. Right. Yeah, they weren't, they were, what she's saying is that she seemed like they were attached to the front of something. Yes, that there there was an object that there were headlights on the front of something and in a V-shape. <laughs> and much to our surprise, we waited about another 15 seconds. Well, probably 45 seconds. Yeah, and... Um, well, they came in succession, about 15 seconds apart. And, sounds sounds uh, like close encounters of the third kind. Well, it's... Coming around the mountain when she comes. <laughs> I, it was really funny, but, you know, that that was how it seemed to be. And, and it reminded me almost of, like, uh, Tinkerbell from Peter Pan. With these really? Oh, really? Yeah. These lights just zooming across. And when we were talking about them circling, we were standing there going, it's got to be UFO. And we were saying, well, maybe it's just circling around. And then the next set came, and there were only three. <laughs> and oh. so then we knew that it wasn't circling. Yeah. And they all traveled the, the next set. By then, we were just goosebumps from head to toe. Well, we we began shaking about that point. It wasn't just goosebumps. That was goosebumps, you said, right? Goosebumps. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, good pun. <laughs> Uh, indeed. Well, uh, and uh, the, then the next set that came across was a, a set of 14 lights. 14 lights. And uh, we both felt that these were uh, maybe two ships together uh, because of, of the way that they were shaped. It was more irregular than the others, but when we we talked about it a couple of days later, we thought that possibly it was two sets of seven one flying slightly above the other one. Well, then here's a critical question. Did you ever see um, any of the lights, particularly in the irregular one, change position relative to the other one? Um, the set of 14 is a possibility, but I, to be really honest, with all the excitement of everything going on... Hard to remember. I, it is just really hard to just give you a really definite answer. And, right of now. course, you girls had... Uh, Low-light video cameras all set. And oh, definitely. <laughs> <laughs> oh, we wish. Yeah, by then we were just, our chins, our oh. mouths were hanging open, and we could hardly even talk. I know the experience. And then what happened was we were, we were anticipating it, and we were turning and facing in the direction they were coming from. <laughs> like robots. <laughs> so you were waiting for the next set. Oh, yes. And uh, the the final set was seven, another set of seven. Another set of seven. Flying in a V. Holy uh -huh. smokes. And uh, that was the end of the show. We waited for about three minutes outside just watching and waiting and shaking, and what do we do? <laughs> Boy, I hear that. Listen, what was it like between the two of you? 
I really like to ask this because my wife and I went through it. And so what was it like between the two of you after all this happened? Obviously, at some point, you went back inside and you sat down and talked about it. Well, we first off, we're going, we, were, we were still standing outside, and we kept asking, what do we do? What are we going to do? <laughs> and we kept saying over and over again, oh, my gosh, yeah. oh, my gosh. That was our most common statement between the two of us and commenting on what is it, trying to eliminate the possibilities uh, of searchlight, of, of airplanes, of everything else as they kept flying over. It's and, good that you sat there and went through that deductive reasoning. Yes. Yes, we did. And uh, seeing them just come, uh, turning like robots, and seeing them come out of the horizon or up, up, uh, almost out of a star or something was incredible. Well, you were particularly lucky. Most people don't get that much of a show, you know, one no. after another after another. That's great. And uh, so you really had an opportunity to observe well, I think the thing that we were talking about afterwards that was the most profound for us was the silence. Uh, I lived on Beale Air Force Base and saw SR-71 flying in and out all of the time and thought they were the most beautiful uh, flying objects I have ever seen. But this, Debbie and I were commenting on how graceful and how majestic these were uh, flying or cruising in their silence and uh, that's what impressed me the most about it was just seeing them uh, cruise across the sky uh, these, uh, just in this graceful mode as though they had command of the universe. And uh, that's, that's what took me by surprise. More Maybe than they do. Else. Maybe they do. I think so. So, well, gee, have you ever seen anything like this before? I never have. Never. Never? never when you all heard stories about stuff like this, what did you used to think? Well, my father was an aeronautical engineer in the space program, and I grew up with uh, always a knowing of a possibility. And so I didn't doubt it at all, and I've never doubted it. But um, this experience was so incredible it's still you know it's been five days and i still yes. have to keep reminding myself that it really happened and i feel the same way about it um i like debbie i've had no problem accepting ufos as being a fact and for the last umpteen years every trip i've taken at night i've spent scanning the skies and that's why when I stepped out of my, my condo and looked up, it was so natural for me to do that. And there it was. I, but I, you'd never, you'd scan as you would, this was your first. This was my first. I have never <laughs> seen a UFO. Well, coming back here tonight to be on the phone was, was just so strange. I haven't been back since the sighting. And standing in the parking lot and looking up. Yes. Well, all I can say is, welcome to the the ever-growing club. <laughs> We're proud to be members. <laughs> we sure are. Debbie, Jen, thank you both so much, and um, 
you've had an experience that you will not forget for as long as you live. Never. Good Thank night. you, Art. Thank yes, you. Yes, you bet. Good night, you too. Great report. Uh, there, there it is, uh, Good night. Peter. Uh, yeah. Wow. I thought our audience would like to hear us close off with that case, Art. It was dramatic. Five groups of light streaking overhead. One thing they didn't emphasize is they went almost from horizon to horizon in five to ten seconds estimated time. <laughs> I'm going to be talking about this case and many others like it up in Vancouver, B.C. on the 6th of May, just about a week and a half from now at the planetarium up there. Oh, really? Also going to be showing that incredible videotape of the fireball going over Ontario after we did that program with Amy Hebert out of Texas. Oh, what an incredible hunk of video. Oh, it's it's. I think it's the most dramatic video we have in our possession here at the National UFO Reporting Center. I'm going to be showing that and... Talking about many other cases, I think people will enjoy it. I hope they'll come and join us and uh, see what we have. Okay, where and, where and when again, please? It's going to be at the Planetarium in Vancouver, B.C., 7.30 p.m. on Saturday, the 6th of May, just about a week and a half from now, uh, sponsored by the UFO B.C. group up there. And uh, I'm looking forward to it tremendously. I think it's going to be a good program. But uh, <clears throat> we have a lot of cases. What we've touched on... You know, just a general statement, Art, despite the many, many programs we've done, I think I've probably presented less than 1% or a fraction thereof of all the material we have up here. And where is the press? Where is our government? All the people like Debbie and Jen, so many hundreds, thousands, even millions of people who have seen these things. Peter... What can I say? After all the years, my friend, thank you so very much. It has been fun. Thank God for Coast to Coast and Art Bell. That's all I can say. <laughs> Good it's night, been Peter. a great run. Good, Good night. Good night, my friend. There you have it. Two new initiates. All right, Ghost to Ghost is coming up next. Ghost stories only. All right, just a couple of things before we begin. One, uh, I just took a, a webcam photograph of my wild cat, Comet. I have a wild cat. When I tell you that this cat is wild, I'm telling you this cat is as wild as any creature, large cat, you would encounter in an unexpected way on a mountain <laughs> or maybe on the flats in Africa. I mean, this is a wild cat, folks. And if you look carefully at the picture on the webcam right now, there is no mistaking the wildness of the eyes. You can see what this cat is. It has become our friend. But to the rest of the world, it will always be a wild cat. And if you look carefully at it right now, you will see that wildness in those eyes. It's on my webcam. Now, I've got one thing I would like to read before we begin. This is a... I, I love stuff from a cop. I get a, lot of, uh, I get a lot of ghost stories from cops, from policemen. By the way, I love cops on TV. We, we, we watch cops all the time. But here's a fax from a cop out there that I thought you should hear. Art, you know, I would like to have called in tonight, but I'm working the street. 
Your programs have been entertaining and enlightening over the years. I'm a police officer in Salina, Kansas. A few years back, I was on routine patrol, driving through the new construction area along the west side of the old Smoky River bed. It was a little foggy, and I took a new construction. Uh, constructed street, newly constructed street. The street curves along an old bend in the river past an old, old homestead. The farm buildings are now long gone, but the evidence of the elevated construction site is still there. I was rounding the curve and noticed an old dog first, an old tired-looking bloodhound. Then I saw the figure with a feed sickle, the type with the wooden handle and the curved blade. <laughs> he was wearing an old bib overalls and a straw hat, tired old boots, a work shirt with sleeves cut out. It's cop for you, boy. They'll, they'll get that description right down. They were walking the opposite direction of the patrol unit. I was not real anxious to make contact with this individual because he looked angry. But due to thefts in the area, I made the U-turn in the grass and was back in a few seconds. Both he and the dog were gone. I got out, walked around, over the riverbank, no sign of them, no footprints, nothing. Now, I've worked this shift for seven years. Nothing like this before. I've been in law enforcement for over 15 years, and I sure would like to know the truth behind this story. As a child in the city, we used to walk through that old homestead. There were the remains of an old two-story house in a barn that was falling down. Many kids in the area refused to go down there, stating the grounds were haunted. It never slowed me down a bit. It was just another interesting piece of dying history. But now I wonder. That's from Glenn. <laughs> Good morning, Glenn. There's your story. All right, here we go. Uh, once again, uh, I'm requesting of the audience no great goodbyes tonight, just ghost stories. That's what we're here for. That's what you're going to get. And um, if you are one who doubts that something survives when the human body gives out, then you'll be, wanna, you'll be wanting to, uh, to listen throughout the night tonight. It'll help you. First time caller line, you're on Ghost to Ghost AM. Good morning. Hello, hello Art. Hi there. This is Marshall. I'm at Ground Zero, Bellevue, Nebraska. All right, Marshall, you are going. Oh, Bellevue, huh? You're going to have to. That's the one they destroyed, right? <laughs> no, not yet. Um, you're, in a movie, I meant. Uh, listen, you're going to have to speak up good and loud for me. You're not okay. too loud, Marshall. So, is this a little better? It's better, sir. Okay. This happened over a period of, I'd say, 15 years. About 22 years ago, me and my wife got married. And we bought this place for my dad. It had four rental properties on it, okay? All right. Okay, then we had our first... You mean four, four individual houses or something? And one, two houses. One had one apartment, and the other house, big house, had three apartments in it. Gotcha. So we took the basement and the top uh, middle floor and rented the top and the back. Gotcha. Okay, so uh, we had our firstborn about a year later. Then we had another son about um, another year later. Mm -hmm. So when they were about five or six, they said, Daddy, we can't sleep at night. And they said, why? I said, there's an old man with a hat on, and he keeps looking through the window at us. Oh, really? And saying, oh, boy, we got a peeking Tom. So you, you believe them? Uh, oh, right? yeah. My, you know, I would believe them, you know. But the only problem is 
the window's about 20 foot off the ground. That is a problem. So I'm saying, these kids, you know what, I don't think they're lying to me or nothing. So, and all through this time, we had like the train tracks, it was right behind my house, about 150 yards. Yes, sir. And we get these big heavy grain trains, and they, what do you call it, shake the whole house. And we'd get glasses falling out of the cupboards and stuff, because they were old cupboards and everything like that, you know. So we didn't pay it no much, much attention. So what happened is, is all of a sudden, I worked, for, I worked at that time for the railroad at night. My wife called me up one night, and she says, somebody was looking over her bed, a silhouette of a man. So she gently reached over and turned on the light, and poof, it was gone. Now, you mean actually in the room? In the room above her bed, right. Above her bed. Looking over her, an old man with a hat. That's really bad. Okay. As, you know, then uh, we'd be like uh, Saturday morning, we'd be sleeping in, and she says, oh, we better get up. Why? And I said, the, kid, the kids are up. You can hear them walking around upstairs. You can hear the TV on. Now, let me guess. You went into the kids' room, and there they were, sleeping. Sleeping. The sleep Front of door a, with uh, a dead bolt. Yeah. Wide open. Stereos on. TVs on. Yeah. How could you live in a house like that? Well, I thought it was all BS myself. Until my <laughs> wife. And That's right. Up until now, it was your children and your wife. Right. Bad enough, but you hadn't seen anything. Oh, I didn't see nothing. I'd be, right. I just kind of pacified them. Yeah, yeah, okay, whatever. Yeah. Well, this happened all through, you know, as they're growing up, okay? This, went, uh, this was over 15 years. 15 years. And see, what really happened, we started remodeling the house, and it started progressively getting worse. Well, that's because you were making it angry. It was you were changing what it was used to. Oh yeah, it was really getting angry. Towards oh. the last, it started building fires. But I'll get to that. Building so any, fires? Oh yeah, I got a big wood burner downstairs, and throughout the summertime, what we would do instead of taking it out to trash, I just stick it in the wood burner and why run upstairs to put it in the garbage, right? Right. Well, all of a sudden, here it's summertime out, and the wood burner's going. She asked me why did I start the fire. I didn't start the fire. She says the wood burner's on. Because it's one of them that turn on and it put, blows heat throughout the whole house, you know? Yes. Yeah, we don't need, you know, it's 100 degrees outside. We don't need the furnace, you know, the wood. Burn. I hear that, yes. So anyway, uh, she, my wife went to California with one of her girlfriends, seen a bunch of friends out there, and my uh, grandmas took the two boys. Right. Okay. Here I am. I just, what do you call it, one of my days off, because I worked nights at that time. I just got into bed, and I, we, our basement was our master bedroom back then. And here... Lona, you know how it is when you just kind of get ready to doze off and everything. And here's here's a silhouette of a man with a hat on walking upstairs. Walking uh, upstairs. Oh, uh, walking right past me, probably 20 feet away. I'm going, whoa, there's somebody else in, in the house. Oh, uh, you, well, yeah. yeah, people sit and they listen to this and it just sort of, they hear well, this it. this is honest God's truth. You cannot understand the terror uh, when you've got a deadbolt and someone's in your house. So I gently reached into the deal, grabbed my 9mm, cocked and loaded, and oh. I'm searching the house. Oh. Is there somebody in here with me? I searched that whole house head to toe, and there's nothing there. And after that, I believed everything my wife and my kids told me. <laughs> because I'll tell you what, it's just frightening. It's just, it's just you know, it just makes your hair on the And you're saying that toward the end, as you were remodeling the house... It started getting worse. So next door to me, uh, there, the guy, there was a business there, and they made it into a bar. And his son was a deputy sheriff. And he got the word of this happenings going on around our house. Right. He said, well, let me do some investigating. Let me find if somebody got killed or murdered in your house. Okay. 
Okay. Was, what he found out was across the street from me was this old abandoned house. As long as many years I've lived here, there's nobody ever there. Right. Okay. And the guy that lived there at that time walked across the street and got hit by a semi and killed instantly. And his buddy lived here. This is probably 30, 40 years before I lived here. So you believe that house... Well, no, it's getting a little interesting after this. I also have auto repair business here at my house. Yes. So what I do on the side. Well, anyway, one of my clients, she says, she, I got to talk to her about it. She says, my uncle lived across the street. Uh-huh. Okay? Yes. She says, yeah, we caught, he was the one that got killed out in the street. I says, oh, yeah? She says, next time I come down, I'll bring a photograph of him. Oh, boy. Okay. I knew his last name and everything after this. So here she brings his photograph to me. And here's this old man with this Dick Tracy hat. Just exactly what we've been seeing. So what I ended up doing is just, I just held the picture to my wife. You know this guy? And she freaked out. She said, that's the guy. And the children? Oh, they, they didn't really say too much about They seen the photograph and... But the hat, that's what they, it was like a Dick Tracy hat. That's what they recognized, the hat part. Well, that's a very disturbing story. So here, here's where it really gets interesting. <laughs> more? There's more? Oh, yeah. The, how we got rid of the ghost is we start, because the, the house across the street was so in disrepair. Nobody lived in there for 10 or 15 years. And before that, when I was a kid, it was still there. We ended up getting out after the city, and the city finally tore the house down. Tore it down. Then after the house was torn down, that was the end of the problems. Huh. All right. Well, listen, bless your heart for telling that story. I, I say again, that's a very disturbing story. Because in trying to determine what a ghost is, whether it's some sort of endless remnant of a soul, that has left, or it's actually the continued consciousness of a person who has passed away. Uh, there's really a big difference between the two. As you listen to these stories, there can be no doubt, and there will be no doubt if you continue to listen. The disturbing, edgy part of all this is imagining yourself as a soul as a spirit, suddenly dead, but not gone. Still here, with attachment to something like a house, or an apartment, or a car, whatever it would be. Your soul, in essence, your everything that you are, trapped in this physical place. That's why I think that kind of story is so disturbing because it makes one lean toward the, the the local haunting aspect the 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 consciousness trapped the spirit trapped and that's a pretty damn frightening thought when you think it over wildcard line you're on the air hi hi art this is the Flatiron arts building in chicago wicker park neighborhood well how are you oh we're wonderful we're wonderful but we have two ghosts but they're not Mind you, they're not frightening. And we believe here that these apparitions have traveled with our artists. We'll tell you two stories. One, about an artist from Holland 
who is now here, and he brought his ghost with him. Really? Yes. One night he's working, as most artists do, at night. They do their creative best when it's the dark. You bet. And the ghost reappeared, and he hadn't seen this ghost oh, for several years when he was in Holland. That's Amsterdam, Holland. Right. And it frightened him. He called me in the morning, and I said, well, hold on a second. We're not going to get rid of this ghost this way. Let's make him our friend. I said, paint him. So several nights later, the ghost reappeared. Do what? Paint him? Paint him on a canvas. Okay. He painted him on the canvas. The ghost has not bothered him except from time to time, but not on a frightening basis. Maybe it liked the painting. <laughs> We're listening. And now, if that had been an unflattering painting, your artist friend could be mush by now. <laughs> You're absolutely right. We hadn't, we hadn't thought about it. Now, mind you, this building was created in 1913, and it is in the neighborhood that was frequented by Nelson Algren, and it has its ups and its downs and so on. It's much like Paris was in 1925. Yes. We now have another artist who is from Japan. This is a young woman who attends the Art Institute of Chicago. Gotcha. And she is a Japanese citizen, although fluent in, uh, in both languages. She has been followed by a ghost from her family farm in northern Japan. Now that's quite a trip. Yes, it is. And we believe that not only ghosts inhabit a building, a neighborhood, but they follow the karma of the artists. And remember, mm. you being a broadcaster, and we have performing artists, there's a sensitive nature to the artist. Oh, we're all crazy. Uh, <laughs> happily crazy. <laughs> so this is, this, and we don't, by the way, permit any lawyers or doctors in this building. Well, there's some points for you. Yes. By the way. <laughs> so we, from the All Artist Building, wish you and all your 15 million uh, listeners good luck. I like, thank you very much, and I really uh, yes. particularly appreciate the story about the artist who Art, painted... don't need to be unfriendly. ...who painted the ghost, and yes. apparently the ghost did like the painting, but... Yes, yes. Again, and we, en we encourage the apparitions. We encourage people from the other world. I wonder if that's a good thing. Have you, haven't you ever wondered whether in doing so you're trapping whoever it is? No, we hadn't. We in thought, the earthly plane? We thought that we would give these wandering spirits a home and make them our friends. <laughs> well, um, good luck to you, but listen, you be careful. <laughs> we shall. All right. Thank that, you so that, much. That's the first uh, one I've heard of an artist painting a ghost. I mean, you have to be real careful with every with every brush you take. You'd have to be very careful, wouldn't you? We'll be right back. Watching it. 
From west of the Rockies at 1-800-618-8255. East of the Rockies at 1-800-825-5033. First-time callers may recharge at 1-775-727-1222. The wild card line is open at 1-775-727-1295. And to recharge on the toll-free international line, call your AT&T operator and have them dial 800-893-0903. This is Coast to Coast AM with Art Bell on the Premier Radio Network. There's only one thing we're doing tonight, ghost stories, all night long. This is known as Ghost to Ghost, and all we want from you are serious ghost stories. That's what we've been getting, and that's what we're going to proceed with. Listen to this very briefly. The city of Achan, and I'm sure I'm mispronouncing that, that's A-C-H-A-N, formerly one of Germany's perimeter cities, was reduced to a pile of rubble by Allied forces during World War II. Our unit, the U.S. Army 303rd Medium Maintenance Company, happened to be passing through the city in 1945. The war was still underway, and as expected, the atmosphere was very hostile. Looking for a place of comparative safety to bunk down, we located two intact adjoining rooms in what had previously been an apartment complex. The only object of interest in these rooms was a grandfather clock, which was not running. Unable to resist a challenge of this type, we managed to make the clock operative. As the rooms were small, we decided that six GIs sleep in each room. Sleep we did until the clock struck 2 a.m., now, I don't know what woke me, perhaps that clock. Within seconds, the wailing began. The most unearthly sound that I've ever heard, the wailing continued for approximately eight to ten minutes and then abruptly stopped. Silence prevailed, except the ticking of the clock. I positioned my rifle barrel in the direction of the door and held that position, anticipating the arrival of the sergeant of the guard. He was scheduled to wake up the relief guard at 4 a.m. Upon opening of the door and directing his flashlight into the room, he was greeted by six gun barrels pointing in his direction. He checked the second room and found the same condition existed. All the occupants were awake and heard the wailing. Neither the guard on duty nor anyone outside those two rooms heard the wailing. It was never determined what the source of the wailing was, but it was determined prudent to sleep elsewhere. All the way from World War II. We'll be right back. All right, here we go. We continue now with Ghost to Ghost AM West of the Rockies. You are on the air. Good morning. Yeah, this is Steve in San Francisco. Hello, Steve. How are you? Oh, pretty good. 
Yeah, I got a, a ghost story. I got to kind of set the stage for it a little bit. But All right. uh, I bought this turn of the century house that was kind of run down. Actually, it was owned by an old man and never used to see him. Everything used to be closed up. And, and my wife really liked the house. And so. Is this in San Francisco? Uh, it's just outside. All right. And uh, so anyway, we saw somebody going up, or she did, going up to the house. And, and they, you know, was dressed in a suit. Looks like a real estate agent, so she caught him, and he goes, yeah, the guy's going to sell the house. So we ended up making an offer, and we bought the house, and we kept noticing it was really run down, had old wiring in it, and, you know, there wasn't many lights, so it was really kind of a dark dark house anyway. And we used to feel like somebody was, you know, following us. And you'd turn around, and you'd get like a glimpse of something, you know, moving real quick away, but you never really saw it, so... Corner of the eye kind of deal? Yeah, kind of the corner of the eye, you know, kind of a shadow that would just kind of disappear. Something you couldn't quite lay your eyes on, but was at the peripheral vision right. point. Right, it always seemed to move faster than you could move, you know. Uh, I'm with you. And uh, so we, we kept noticing, we'd like the wife would set her necklace down, and she'd come in and go, well, you know, where's my necklace? And, uh, you know, we'd look around, couldn't find it, we'd look everywhere. And then maybe two days later, it'd be laying right on the dresser where she left it. But we'd look there, and it it wasn't there. You Nobody know? in the house but yourself and your wife? Well, we had kids, but, you know, they we'd ask them, and they wouldn't know, and most likely they weren't touching, because we'd check in their room, and there was nothing ever there. It just So like, it would disappear and reappear? And reappear. Uh-huh. So I did some research on it, and uh, the guy that built the house uh, died of a brain hemorrhage about three years after he, he purchased the property. And from what the neighbors said, he was building it himself, and it was never really completed. So they never lived in there. Boy, here we go again. And then then it was purchased from that family uh, by a madam. uh, A madam? Yeah. She used it for her own house to uh, entertain the sheriff and the mayor and and that kind of people. (laughs) Old San Francisco. (laughs) And so... uh, yeah, uh, you and know. By, and it, by it, the way, I'll bet not much has changed. Yeah, and it, it was up on a hill so she could see the ships come in, and that uh, way she would know when it was time to go back to uh, the uh, home and uh, make sure the girls were up and ready. For I them. understand. So, Here come the sailors. Yeah. yeah. So uh, you know, it had kind of an interesting history, and then actually we bought it uh, from uh, kind of an adopted child of hers. So. Uh, we never did really get the story. It seemed like there was something strange that went on in that family, and I figured the guy we bought it from was probably uh, one of her uh, workers' uh, pregnancies that she just adopted to take you know, care of her. But anyway, uh, we were going along, and, and you know, the ghosts never seemed to bother anybody. Things would disappear, but they always reappeared, and you know, it never... You know, really affect. By the way, that activity would be described uh, more along the poltergeist line so far. Yeah, but I mean, you know, nothing, nothing. I mean, once in a while you'd hear something kind of drop or whatever, you know. But nothing. I mean, there was no physical. You know, we had little kids. Yes. You know, we, you know, didn't get too worried. Anyway, there was, there was one day, and we were sitting around in the front room. And I was sitting in a chair by the door, and there were three or four of my friends, and we were having a few beers and just sitting back and talking. It was a nice nice day. And uh, we had a cat that uh, was given to us by a uh, 
uh, a friend of my wife's who uh, got married and her husband was allergic to cats, so they had to get rid of it. So we adopted this cat. And uh, it was a very unusual cat, kind of quiet, not wild like yours. But, Uh you know, it was... (laughs) It was an interesting cat, had a personality, you know. And uh, so anyway, we were sitting there, and and this cat came running up close to where I was sitting and sat down and looked up over my right shoulder like it was looking at something there. It wasn't looking at me. Anyway, the front door opened. By itself? By itself. The cat ran out, and the door shut. Okay. And I... I was sitting by the door. There was no breeze, no wind, nothing. And I just kind of looked at that. And I looked around, and everybody had just, like, quit talking. <laughs> and they were all just, their mouths were kind of dropped, you know, hanging down. And uh, and uh, I guess probably about five, six seconds went by before I finally said, did anybody see what I just saw? And everybody goes, yeah, you know. And they go, well, it must have been the wind or something. I go, I'm sitting right here. And anyway, the door was latched. Well, obviously the cat saw whatever it was. Yeah, anyway, I got I got the coldest chill over my body. It was like, you know, you get that tingling feeling. Oh, yes. Anyway, that that was probably, well, I have another one. No, that'll do. One per customer, and that's a beauty. Uh, can I can I tell you something about your, your uh, UFO observation? It's real um, quick. Well, very uh, no, actually not tonight. Right. Uh, yeah. This is Ghost to Ghost. Thank you very much. That was a really good story. There's a lot of animal stories. As I said, the uh, the webcam photo I've got up there right now. It's hard to explain to you. Uh, we have a wild cat, a feral cat. And inside this cat is nothing but Mr. Sweetness, but... That's several layers down. The wildness in this cat is now there and will always be there. And if you look at the photograph I took just before airtime tonight on the webcam, you look at those eyes, there is no mistaking the wildness. A cat that lets me hold it in its arms, but there is no mistaking the wildness. Take a good look at those eyes. On the international line, you are on the air. Hello. Good evening, Art. Good evening. Where are you? Uh, this is Jean. I've been up in Victoria, British Columbia. Welcome to, uh, to the program. Good Thank to have you. Thank you very much. Uh, there's a house in town, Art, uh, here in Victoria that my parents bought back in about 1941. Yes. And that house has two ghosts in it. One is my brother, and the other is my mother. Oh, my God. You know who they are. I know who they are. How do you know who they are? I mean, do you actually see I'm absolutely positive and without doubt, and I can tell you how. Please. In 1957, my brother Jim was killed in in an accident. He was only 23, and he had been uh, in the Army and a local police officer. Mm -hmm. And it was was a very tragic thing, as you can well imagine. Of course. And uh, as the years passed, you know, he was sadly missed. And more years passed, and my mother became very, very ill. Mm-hmm. And in 1983, we lost her to cancer. Oh, so the house was sold. Right. Well, the new owners, after about a year, oh, six months or a year, contacted my sister and myself. Oh, Because really? there was somewhat odd things happening. 
And we went over there, and it was a young couple, and the father of father-in-law was helping with the renovations, because it was an old house. It needed a lot of work. How did they even find you? I have no idea. Okay. Probably through their realtor is the only thing I can think of. I would imagine. Mm -hmm. So anyway, um, my sister and I went over, and the the, uh, the gentleman's father was very upset, very, very agitated, and it was quite obvious that we weren't really welcome there. But the young couple, uh, they took us down to the basement, and they had been seeing this image down there mm-hmm. of a very tall young man with dark hair. But he had something shiny on his left breast, like a police badge. Oh, my. So within the year, they sold the house. They got the hell out of there. They were very, very uncomfortable. So about two years passed. The next new owners of the house track us down. Really? Yep. Yep. And this was a very young, very pleasant brother and sister. Okay. Now, these two were ready with the teapot and the cookies. They were very, very interested in the history of the house. And, you know, had there been problems while we lived there? Well, no, we hadn't. (laughs) So, again, we're down the basement, and they described the same image of a very tall young man, and my brother was six, two and a half, in dark clothing with the shiny on the left breast and the cap on. So we're going, "Uh uh-huh. But in their case, when they renovated the kitchen, it was like the old V-joint with the heavy molding on the floor. Sure. Well, they took the molding off, and behind the molding, they found an old photograph of my brother. Oh, Lordy. In uniform. Let me guess, yep, in, in uniform, uniform yeah. you're right. And the other thing that was happening is they were sitting in the front room watching TV one night, and the rocking chair started to move all by its lonesome. The rocking chair. The rocking chair. And in the rocking chair, they saw the vague image of a woman in her 60s with dark hair and a pretty house dress on. And you should know my mother was a very kind and gentle lady. And her family with her whole life. And she was sitting in the rocking chair with a cup of tea. Oh, boy. Now, I asked the young lady, I said, well, are you nervous? And she says, no, you know, it's kind of like having my mom around. It's just kind of like having a guest, and it's very comfortable. Well, I suppose every time that house is sold now, you're going to get a call. <laughs> Actually, this happened about the last time was about 15 years ago. The disturbing thing about that to me, and mm-hmm. it's the same thing that disturbed me in the first hour, mm-hmm. is we all want to know what happens when we pass. Mm-hmm. And somehow the prospect of being, of, of remaining in an area like that, in a house, as an almost non-existent being is not exactly a pleasant prospect if well, it, I... if it's really if it's really the soul the consciousness of the departed i mean i'm sure that's crossed your mind well i have two thoughts on that okay number 1 i think that for those on the other side time is not linear as it is for us yes and it could well be that they're in an internal now well, that's true. I hadn't thought about that. I, I really, really appreciate your call. Thank you. Uh, it's true. You've got to think about it a little bit. Uh, certainly that caller could be correct. And it could be that something of the person's soul is left here on Earth, and something has moved on. 
that's a bit more of a comforting feeling when you think about it. First time caller line, you're on the air. Hi. Yeah, this is uh, Bill in Cincinnati. Hi, Bill. Uh, yeah, I uh, live in what is, I guess you would call a haunted house. You do now? Uh, yes, I've lived here. I live here by myself. Uh, I don't have any problems with the ghost that's here. But it was related to me by the previous owner's son that he had an encounter uh, continuously with this uh, spirit of young boy. Uh, he claims that uh, he slept in the attic there. They had fixed it up as a room for him. Uh-huh. And uh, he would go to bed of a night. He had a little dog that slept at the foot of the bed. And he said this uh, ghost of this young boy had the habit of climbing in bed with him. And I asked him, I said, didn't it scare you? He said, no, it didn't bother me. He said it felt cold, but he said the dog would leave the bed. <laughs> well, the dog was smarter than he was. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, if something cold crawled in my bed, I'd be yeah. out of there. I'd be out of there in two seconds. The dog's smarter than he is. Yeah, he said this, uh, the years went by, it was as if this ghost matured with him and grew up, you know, from a young boy to a teenager as he did. Oh, brother. Yeah. Somehow you don't think of spirits as aging. Yeah. Uh, in other words, they're, they're usually fixed at, at some point, but maybe they do. I mean, what do we really know about the other side? Yes. Uh, I had one little experience myself uh, since it's such a, a short one. Uh, this is one of them uh, apparitions you, that, you know, have the red eyes. He didn't have red eyes. but uh, I don't like red eyes. It was a uh, cold uh, February morning. It was 3 a.m. in the morning, and it had just uh, fresh fallen snow, no leaves on the tree. It was cold. Yes. And I just happened to look up. I was behind my mother's house, and I had some cats that I had to feed in a chicken house. Yes. And it was an old farm road that went back to the back of the farm. And I just happened to look up, and I saw this apparition flying through the air above the trees. It looked like a, a figure of a human being, but it was dark. It was intent. Its face intent on going the way, you know, it was flying and had these gigantic bat wings. You, I didn't you sure say how or anything at it, and it didn't look down at me, and I let it go on over. Good for you. Let it go on its way. The friendly skies or whatever. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Thanks for the call. Yeah, and you have a good day. You take care. I've got a little story about a little boy here, too, that I want you to hear in a minute. This is Ghost to Ghost. Nothing but ghost stories all night long. I'm Art Bell. Stay right where you are. Or to fly to the sun without burning a wing, to lie in a meadow and hear the grass sing, to have all these things in our memories hold, and they use them to help us to
to take a ride? Call Art Bell from west of the Rockies at 1-800-618-8255. East of the Rockies, 1-800-825-5033. First-time callers may reach Art at 1-775-727-1222. The wild card line is open at 1-775-727-1295. And to call Art on the toll-free international line, call your AT&T operator and have them dial 800-893-0903. This is Coast to Coast AM with Art Bell from the Kingdom of Nine. Good morning and welcome to Ghost to Ghost AM. Nothing but ghost stories all night long. In a long series, many, many years now of doing these programs, I can tell you this. If you will listen through the night, by the time the night is over, you will have no doubt that the soul... The spirit, the consciousness, survives death. The question, I think, is in what manner. And the troubling stories for me, and I sympathize with that last caller very much, uh, who was haunted, in effect, by his own family that remained in the house where they had lived. And I understand that the caller, in his mind, was able to rationalize that there may be not time on the other side as there is here and therefore they may be in two places at one time but I think the worrisome thing that we have to acknowledge is the possibility that we should take the reports at face value and so certainly the the possibility that these entities are in fact all that is of these people left the soul the consciousness is in fact here on earth is in fact trapped in a physical place and a rather small one at that you have to imagine that as one of the strong possibilities listen to this my best friend was around 12 years old growing up in Denver and had a fight with his parents he stormed off to his room screaming I hate you and slammed the door his mom didn't appreciate it and wanted him to apologize but he said it again and again with his mom locked out of the room again and again, I hate you, I hate you. She kept trying to talk to him, but he kept screaming, I hate you, until he began to get hoarse. At some point, some entity began to appear in his room near him. He saw a red outline of the being, but otherwise it was invisible. He felt a chill as it came near him. Sat down making an impression on the bed, an actual physical impression. At that point, he freaked out, screamed Jesus, and started apologizing profusely to his mother. Began screaming, I'm sorry, hoarsely. The thing shot up straight through the ceiling. It's not that he thought that his mom sent the thing to curse him back, but he definitely realized the chanting of I hate you invited whatever it was in. All right, strap in. Here we go again. First time caller line, you're on the air. Where are you calling from, please? Hi, this is Joanne from Christopher. Well, hi, Joanne. Hi. What have I'm so you? I'm thrilled. <laughs> Glad to have you. What, what, what story do you have, Joanne? Okay, well, first let me tell you that I'm usually a skeptic about everything. 
Uh, I've had spooky things happen to me in my lifetime, but I've always been able to chalk it up to a logical explanation. Sure. It's good to be a skeptic. Exactly. So this thing, this happened to me back in 1988 when I was still living in Chicago. I was a single mother, and I had two children. Right. And uh, I was living in this apartment, and at the time I was so poor I didn't even have living room furniture. I had a TV and a VCR and a, and a chair, and I was able to put a few pictures on the wall and this oval clock. Okay, it was just a cheap plastic oval clock. Right, I've been there. <laughs> <laughs> well, one day I came home from work early because I wanted to watch this movie that I knew I wouldn't be able to watch in front of my other ch my children because, you know, they interrupt and you want to really pay attention. So I came home early and I started watching this this movie, and I kept checking the clock on the wall to make sure, you know, to see what time they'd be coming home. Sure. So um, about toward the end of the movie, mm -hmm. I heard this big, like, crash, not like a big crash in my living room, but you know, like something had um, hit the floor. Right. So I turned around because the TV was in the corner, okay? So I had my back to basically the whole living room. Right. All right? So I turned around and I looked for, you know, what fell down, but I didn't see anything. So I thought, okay, maybe it's just me because, you know, when, when you have no furniture in a room, it's an echo. Sure. Okay, like a big sound. That's right. So I turned back to the TV and I keep watching the movie. And, and um, then, like, maybe three minutes later, I heard this, like, schnook against the wall. Schnook? Like, a, like, a, like something coming up against the wall. Gotcha. Okay. So I'm like, this is weird. So I, I look around again and I look to my left. And there's my oval clock on the floor. Oh. Now, I had been checking this clock for the last, uh, say, two hours of the movie. Now, what you have to understand is my living room at the time was like 14 feet long, hardwood floors. Right. That clock was on the opposite side of the wall. <laughs> okay? Mm -hmm. So I can only imagine that it's what was going on behind me, okay? Now, it would make logical sense that maybe it fell off the wall and it rolled across 14 feet to the other side of the wall. Wouldn't make sense to me. Because it's an oval clock. Oh, I see. You see what I'm saying? So I look for every logical explanation. Yeah, but you'd have, well, you would have heard that six ways from Sunday. I, I know, and it was it had a glass uh, face. Yeah, there's there's no way you would have missed that. I mean, exactly. especially in a room like that with the it, echoing, no way. Exactly. That's what freaked me out. So then I'm sitting there thinking, okay, there's my clock on the floor. The kids are not home yet, and I'm not even done watching my movie, and I'm like, what the heck is going on? And that's what made me think, what was going on behind my back that whole time that I was watching this movie? Because you get to get a picture of this thing, you know, like floating behind you. Well, I'd say you're lucky it didn't land on you. No kidding, but at least, <laughs> you know, at least it would have been more real to me because I'd have loved to see a float. But of all the incidents that's ever happened to me, that's the only one I could never explain. Well, if you'd actually seen it, you might never have been the same. That's <laughs> well, what I think about it. I'd have been thrilled because I like things like this. You know? Do you? Yes, I do. Okay. I, I love listening to your show. All right. Well, then you're going to love this. Thank you. Uh, listen to this. It's an animal ghost story. We get some of these. This is from Diane in Wheeling, Illinois. Several times a year, I take my German Shepherd Heidi with me to visit my mother in northern Wisconsin. On one of those visits, my mother had just acquired a dog named Jiggs. It was a lovable and extremely gentle dog. It was almost as large as Heidi, but had a very muscular build. He had a very short, uh, he had very short white hair and sort of resembled a large boar. Hmm. Jiggs loved Heidi immediately. 
But she did not return his admiration. He tried to be friendly and always behaved like a gentleman. He was happy to just be allowed to sit next to her or follow her. Through the years and many visits, Heidi gradually became more friendly toward Jiggs, and it was obvious that he was thrilled. One night in late summer, not too long after a visit, I got into bed to go to sleep. Heidi was already in her place with her head on the pillow. I had just drifted into that twilight sleep when something awakened me. I sat up, I looked at the top of the wall, and I saw a huge white mist appear and saw it was in the shape of Jiggs. He was coming through the wall, then floated down toward Heidi and me. Upon settling on the bed between us, he evaporated. Hmm. Oh, yes. The next morning, my mom called to tell me that Jiggs had died the night before at the exact time I saw him. He'd been attacked by a bear. He made it home just before he died. That's from Diane. Thanks, Diane. Wildcard Line, you're on the air. Hi. Uh, thank you, Mr. Bell, for taking my call. Sure. Uh, this is Dean in Grapevine, and uh, we've talked before about uh, clarity and things like that as far as the supernatural and your previous ghost stories. Yes. Do you have one? Actually, I do, sir. It happened in uh, Anchorage, Alaska. A friend of mine uh, was working on the Alaska Railroad, and we had, uh, had a kind of, as you say, uh, talked him into letting me go on a little special trip that he only about once every six months. He got, a, he got to do a little run uh, down, it was probably about 70 miles southeast of Anchorage. And the, uh, the reason why I wanted to go on this was because it was actually a, a, a little rail that goes inside a mountain. And they actually had a base inside this mountain, which really kind of intrigued me at the time. So I thought, well, you know, anybody that digs out the mountain, you know, it takes the time to dig out a mountain. It's got to be something worth looking at. You bet. So finally, after much, uh, how you say, uh, finagling, because it was kind of a, uh, in a, a military base, he finally let me go one weekend when uh, everybody was kind of like in transition between different, I guess, because you had to literally live in this mountain when you got shipped in here. So it was kind of weird. It was like once you got into the, you know, through the about 20-minute railroad trip, it was, you are pretty much locked in. Wow. So once we got in there, sir, to make a long story short, I'm kind of like one of the very inquisitive types. And uh, he had said basically, look, you know, here, here's a here's a uniform. Don't talk to anybody. Just follow me. You know, we're going to – in fact, it was kind of interesting. There was only three buildings inside of it, including one way off to the side. And there was like a little uh, lake inside that actually it was it was a very strange, surreal scene, but it was a 10,000-foot mountain. Boy, that was, is weird. It was, and it was something I'd never heard of. And uh, when you looked at it from the inside, the most amazing thing was the winds never stopped. It was like a constant swirl. In fact, uh, no matter where you went, it was literally like you were being rode uh, along by the wind because it was like a, a vortex. Inside a mountain? Inside a mountain. And, uh, well, it, it, the train trip alone was amazing, just going through, a, you know, 20, it was like a 20-minute trip to go actually inside of it. And then once you got out, you uh, uh, got off the train. There was a military hospital. Uh, what looked like kind of an airbase building, kind of like one of those old military buildings. Sure. And uh, the explanation was that uh, they built some of these things during, you know, after the war and things like that. Well, uh, one one late night, cause, uh, ironically, the only other building was a little bar in between there. You know, I guess alcohol finds its way in any place. <laughs> so one late night after my friend uh, had completed his shift and all of that, and everybody was kind of quiet, and I was kind of, you know, taking little notes and like that, but I wasn't allowed to bring cameras or nothing like that, because trust me, I would have, I could have. And uh, he goes, he went to bed, and I'm just kind of, you know, listening to the wind howl, which never stopped uh, howling. I finally went downstairs, 
uh, was kind of a, how you say, a blown across the parking lot. I kind of, kind of got to the point where I could actually take my jacket and kind of parasail across the parking lot. So I finally got across the parking lot, and we're talking about maybe 1 o'clock in the morning. It's pretty dark. It's about, about this time about four years ago, so it's about 45 degrees, and the wind's still going around. And I'm just kind of looking around, and, and at that point I, I catch a, a flickering light over in the corner, and I go over there, and it was by the uh, the little river. The little Actually, it was like a little lake. And I'd asked uh, my friend if we could fish over there, and he goes, no, you don't really want to fish in that water. It's kind of a strange water. So as I'm walking around the side of the building, I see somebody there fishing in the water. Huh. I'm thinking, okay, this is strange. One o'clock in the morning, maybe he's bored. You know, I would be too if I was trapped inside a mountain. So I went over there, and it was a, uh, uh, it was like a guy in a, a train outfit, but it was more of a worker outfit. And it was a, a gentleman of Eskimo persuasion, and he was just fishing very quietly. He had a little lantern, whole shot, and he seemed to be uh, like humming or chanting or something like that. But it was very low key. So I walked up very quietly, to, you know, quietly to him, and uh, I think he noticed when he and he finally looked looked around at me and didn't really acknowledge me, but went back to his fishing. So I kind of walked up a little nearer, and finally I, I was about three feet away from him. I went, "Sir, sir, you know, I'm sorry to bother you, but are you catching anything in here?" And he looks around at me, and he and he looks he, like past me, or almost through me. And he looks up. And I'm like going, okay, why is he looking behind me? And I turn around, and I'm like looking up, and I'm looking at the inside of the mountain, and it's kind of neat the way the uh, lights kind of shimmer off the inside of the snow and all like that. Right. But as I'm looking up, I catch this little, like, almost like a little kind of a red light, but it's not, I'm not quite sure what I'm seeing. And all of a sudden, Art, uh, it was the strangest noise you ever heard. It was like a, almost like a compression sound. But what it was was an actual vehicle. Uh, somehow this, it was not to say your black triangle kind of thing, yeah. It was a black triangle vehicle, and sir, sir, the most amazing thing was it goes from a ghost story to a UFO story because when I turned around, he's gone. I'm like, <laughs> I'm like, wait a minute. All of this inside a mountain. Exactly. So as I'm looking up, and I'm thinking, what am I looking at here? And the most amazing thing was it wasn't shifting anything on the side of the mountain as far as the snow. Yeah. It wasn't, there was nothing as far as a rumble. There was nothing. It was just a, almost a compression, and I almost felt like myself getting lifted up. And I look back, and there's no rod, there's no reel, there's no nothing. And I'm thinking, okay, maybe he's just trying to you know show me something. So literally, as, he, as, the, as the vehicle kind of goes down, it just kind of like literally just twirls around and then shoots back up and it's gone. And I'm thinking, you know, I wish it had landed, but seriously, I'm thinking to myself, I must thank this gentleman for, you know, shedding a little clarity in my life. Oh, that's really weird. Thank you very much. That's, that's one weird one. Inside of a mountain where the winds always howl. Huh. You don't want to catch fish in this water, huh? You see the kinds of things that have happened to people? Beyond reason, strange. East of the Rockies, you're on the air. Hello. How you doing today? I'm okay, sir. Okay. About 1989. Where are you, by the way? Oh, I'm in uh, Wabash, Indiana, listening to you on WLS out of Chicago. All right, the big one. Okay. Um, about 1989, my, um, my then wife and I received a phone call saying that they had found her grandmother dead in her garage. And this was in East Tennessee. We lived in Middle Tennessee at the time. Right. And um, so we drove up there to attend her funeral. Now, the, uh, her grandmother and her grandfather had divorced about three weeks before this. And these people were in their upper 70s and had been married for, goodness, over 50 years. And it was strange to us that they got a divorce. And um, when we got up there, we found out that they had found her in the garage, that she had turned her car on, and uh, she had uh, killed herself by the, the fumes. Right. And, you know, that's strange anyway. But what had happened was the doors were locked. The garage door was locked, and the, the door that led into the house was also locked. And um, this woman had a little over seventy-five thousand dollars in a savings. And uh, and my ex-wife, her um, 
the only the only child that they had was my ex-wife's father, and he had been in and out of trouble with the law, and uh, he never did get a job. He he lived with them up into up into his forties, and recently had moved out because of a fight. When they broke up, the the the, um, the grandmother decided she wasn't going to keep her son no more, and she told him he had to get out and get a job. So me and my uh, my ex-wife was kind of thinking something was up because mm-hmm. he got all the money, and um, and my ex-wife's grandfather had moved to Arizona, and uh, so he didn't get any of it. And all of a sudden, this guy's spending all this money. He's going out and buying these crazy things. And this is within just a few days of the funeral. And um, and he also had her body uh, burnt, which she wanted to be buried in Michigan where she was born. And we were all upset over this, and we tried to stop it, but we couldn't because he had all the rights to do this. And uh, I'll tell you what happened. We stayed for two weeks up there. And uh, when we come back home, back to Middle Tennessee, all kinds of strange, weird things started happening in the home we were living in at the time. First, our children... Were telling us that um, something was coming in and out of their bedroom, and we, you know, they were small, and we didn't think anything of it. And uh, and then my then my wife told me that so I worked third, and she told me that all through the night she'd be sitting on the couch and see, she'd see these little shadows out of the corner of her eye. Oh yes. And you know I've done that a thousand times, and I always just pass that off as just a glance of something, and you're not sure what it was, and you know you jump to conclusions on it. Well, I never listened to her. Yes. And uh, but it got more and more and more and more. And and finally, one day I'm laying in bed. This is in the daytime. I worked third shift, so I had my windows all aluminum foiled, so it was good and dark in there. And I had a fan going, so I wouldn't hear the outside noise. Yeah. I've been in bed probably about I guess maybe ten minutes, and I wasn't asleep yet. And my bed started trembling, like what it would tremble as if, if, if a large truck had drove by. Yes. I sat up in my bed. I'm thinking, this is weird. And it keeps on trembling. So I get up out of my bed. I go to the door. As soon as I open the door and light comes in the room, the bed stops. I'm thinking, okay, you know, this, this, this it, it, something caused it. It's just, it's nothing. It's not a big deal. Mm-hmm. So I go back to bed, turn the light out. I'm laying there 15 maybe 16 minutes, just about getting to the point of being tired. It's pitch dark in here. All of a sudden, I get really cold, and I feel somebody, literally, and this is, I mean, literally feel somebody move the hair away from my ear. Oh, man. Set, and I'm being honest, and set on the bed. Yes. You know, when somebody sits on the bed, you can feel it. Oh, yes. And uh, they whisper, John. And I'm like, you know, I said, Angie, and that's my, that was my wife's name. And uh, she didn't say nothing. I raised up fast, you know, and I was freaking out. And it was so cold in there, and I could hear scattering noises, like, you know, like if somebody was running about in my room. Yes, yes. I screamed. And it wasn't like a, a girl scream. I, I, I yelled, Angie! And uh, I guess a minute or two after I had yelled that two or three times, she come rushing in and opened the door, and she's like, what's the matter with you? And uh, I said, somebody just whispered John in my ear, and that was her dad's name. Okay, all that was just that was the biggest thing that happened to me. And then after that night, I also started seeing the little shadows on the, my days off when I'd be up late at night from working third and I couldn't sleep at night. I'd constantly see them. Weird things were happening. The, uh, the microwave oven in the in the kitchen would start would come on and start running for no reason. And you know, my father would say, "Oh well, it's just microwave. It, who knows? Electrical problems could cause that or whatever." Nobody wanted to listen to us. And um, and it would get cold, and uh, the, I started seeing the shadows. The kids kept complaining of it. We, uh, Angie had said that the bed would tremble on her. I felt it several times. This all went on for almost a year without stopping. 
to the point where we had a friend over who was staying with us at the time. It, it, she went back to uh, where she was living because she said she couldn't sleep there because she said she'd have too many bad dreams and weird things happen to her at night that she couldn't explain, like, you know, like somebody was watching her. We're coming up on a break here. Okay, I'm going to finish it then. Well, what happened was we ended up finding out that there was a possibility that John might have done something. The police had been investigating him, and we didn't know it. They didn't tell us. It was secret. And what happened was he got killed in an accident. Uh, he drove into the fog, and he ended up running into a truck head-on and died. The day that we got a call saying that he had died that morning, everything, everything stopped. And, I've got you. And I believe that she was telling me that John killed her. I've got you. Thanks for the call, sir. Hey, you're welcome. Bye. Ooh.